All right. Ready to go on? Ready. Okay. The end of the year approaches, and it's the perfect opportunity to reflect on the many accomplishments in 2021. It's the chance to show our gratitude to our members and the tireless people who made many of these milestones possible. Every year, Prairie Rivers Network provides the River Steward Award to someone who has dedicated their time and energy to the work that ultimately improves our lives and the health of the environment. For our final episode of 2021, we were fortunate to talk with this year's recipient, Tracy Fox. I'll let PRN's Robert Hirschfeld take it from here. There's an ongoing conversation among environmentalists about the impact of one individual's actions with regard to environmental progress. I'll admit to being a bit of a skeptic when it comes to environmental individualism. Changing light bulbs, recycling glass bottles, choosing to ride your bike to work rather than driving. These are certainly good things to do. They are often entry points into environmentalism, and they can have carryover effects. But when it comes to tackling our many environmental and societal ills at scale, I'm a believer that we need big change, systemic change. But that being said, one way individuals absolutely make a difference is by banding together and demanding that kind of structural change. Illinois took a dramatic step forward in that regard this year with the passage of the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, or CEJA, putting Illinois on a path to 100% renewable energy by 2050 and doing so with a strong emphasis on equity for workers in vulnerable communities. This great victory was the result of the work of groups and individuals. And one such individual was Tracy Fox, this year's recipient of Prairie Rivers Network's River Steward Award. Tracy was instrumental not only to the passage of CEJA, but also in strengthening its provisions, making it one of the most forward-looking clean energy laws in the country. I am so pleased to be joined on the podcast today by Tracy Fox. Tracy, congratulations on being our River Steward for 2021, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Great to be here, Robert. I'd like to talk about CEJA and what's in the bill, but first I'd like to ask about your background. What led to your interest in environmental issues, and how did you become an activist? Well, I came to environmentalism through burden. Um, when my husband and I started dating, we spent a lot of time in parks and preserves and pretty soon became fairly serious bird chasers. And through Peoria Audubon, uh, we were encouraged to get involved in a fight to save Plum Island, which is a wonderful sanctuary for eagles and other water birds that sits right across from Stark Rock State Park. And through that, I met other activists and um, you know, got involved with some uh, less wildlife-focused issues. Here in Peoria, we battled an expansion of the hazardous waste landfill over our aquifer. There were fights to stop roads through nature preserves and things of that nature. And I was really fortunate to meet colleagues through that work that um, sat down and took a serious look at what were the biggest polluters in Peoria County, and we pretty quickly landed on the coal plant. And so my story of involvement with Chica sort of starts there. And tell people a little bit about Chica and what that organization does. Sure. 
Chica is the Central Illinois Healthy Community Alliance, and it's a variety of groups in Peoria, initially environmental, but expanded to include a lot of social justice and um, other community organizations. Uh, it includes our good friends at Heart of Illinois Sierra Club, uh, people out of the Unitarian Universalist Church, the local chapter of the NAACP, uh, the local chapter of the League of Women Voters, and a variety of other community organizations. And together, we um, began to bring attention to the Edwards Coal Plant, which sits in southeastern Peoria County on the banks of the Illinois River. And because of the prevailing winds in this area and the fact that parts of Peoria sit down in the river floodplain, um, we felt like that had an outsized impact on Peoria's poorest zip codes. And so we were very committed to uh, getting a early, securing a closure date. And a lot of that happened because of legal action. But we knew that in the, the broader narrative, that we also needed to provide a fundamentally different vision of the future. Um, shutting down coal on its own is not much of a message to carry forward and get any traction with. But, you know, the idea of transition and moving to something that's more equitable um, and that's cleaner and that, you know, avoids health and climate impacts, that's a message with traction when you have solutions that you're offering. And so that's how Central Illinois Healthy Community Alliance um, and another organization I'm heavily involved with, Illinois People's Action, both got on board um, the work to pass the Climate Equity Jobs Act. Shuttering coal plants can be um, controversial within a community. How was that work received? Um, we got the usual pushback in terms of letters to the editor um, that coal made this country great and Peoria has been dependent on coal for a hundred years and it's always served us well to some really nasty comments on social media where people can hide behind aliases and uh, show the worst part of themselves. But for the most part, the problems were serious enough that uh, it was a legal action. Um, the plant had thousands of opacity violations under the Clean Air Act, which due to some vagueness in the way that the law is written and some loopholes in you know, the way that the Illinois EPA enforces things, uh, that they were polluting way above what their, their permitted levels would have allowed. And so, um, you know, a great team of lawyers from Environmental Law and Policy Center, from NRDC, the National Resources Defense Council, and from Sierra Club, uh, you know, banded together with local declarants in lawsuit um, to take them to court. And we got a favorable ruling and that led to an $8.6 million settlement um, and a closure date was secured for the plant. So that was a really big victory. Let's talk a little bit about the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act or CEJA. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's a landmark piece of legislation, a bill that was passed this year that puts Illinois on a path to 100% renewable energy by 2050. Um, could you talk a little bit about 
what Sija is, what is in the bill, why is it so important? Yeah, Sija is truly one of the most comprehensive energy bills and also the most equitable energy bills that has been passed to date in this country. It's very exciting to contemplate the level of build-out that we're going to see here in Illinois. It includes wind as well as solar, and the solar is everything from utility scale down to residential rooftops. And there are incentives which ensure that this is built in areas that have been left behind in areas that are needing a transition from a closing coal plant, coal mine, or even natural gas plant, and in areas um, across the state in an equitable way. It won't all be clustered up near the Chicago area, nor will it all be on the cheapest land in deep Southern Illinois. Uh, so I think that will be great, but building a bunch of renewables on its own doesn't get the job done. CJA also includes a lot of super technocratic nuts and bolts, things like integrated grid planning, provisions to begin a storage market, provisions that will help with uh, increasing interconnection speed onto the new grid, things that will change the way that utilities are compensated so that we're driving behavior that prioritizes renewables, that reduces pollution, and that makes the most effective use possible of the new grid. And all of those pieces combined with the renewables are what is going to make our new energy economy work. But we're buttressing that with things like energy efficiency, a massive expansion of energy efficiency programs, new low income programs for energy efficiency, and also new industrial programs. Um, and we're hopeful that that will bring the overall level of demand down, again, allowing us to use the wind, solar, and renewable resources in a more efficient and effective way. Um, in addition to energy efficiency, there are a number of programs that are being designed to address electric vehicle rollout. And that can be very important in a comprehensive package because every car acts like a battery on the grid and can be very helpful if you skillfully to balance loads and make the grid work better, make it work better overall not to mention the massive advantages to communities with a lower cost of maintenance for fleets, for mass transit, for school buses, and the benefits to consumers of owning electric cars and total cost of ownership for them will be lower as well. So CJ includes provisions to help ensure that charging infrastructure and these electric fleets are distributed equitably around the state so that we can kick off the new electric vehicle industry, Illinois, in the same equitable way that we're trying to do with uh, the renewables industry. But even with all of the buttressing of the grid and making this great system, it's still not enough. And that's why CJA includes from an energy standpoint, a third very important component, and that's decarbonization. The reality is our markets are too contorted. The build out of renewables is not going to be enough to signal that coal and gas need to close. So CJA ultimately includes firm dates that require closure of the plants. And it's an unfortunate transition for people that are losing their jobs, but 
hopefully we have some offsetting benefits on the equity side of the bill. And equity was a cornerstone of this legislation. Equity is a word that's being used a lot in the context of environmental justice, but within this bill, what do you see as the most important equity components that address longstanding inequities in Illinois? I like to explain the equity provisions of CJ as a virtuous cycle. We have strong components that focus on developing an equitable workforce, including a diverse array of workers and a diverse array of contractors. Contractors that can provide small subcontracting type jobs on a solar site, all the way up to contractors that can function as the lead on a large solar development. And all of that is done with state-of-the-art training techniques, with close attention to barrier reduction, and with recruitment that's very community-based so that the word about these opportunities is getting to the people who actually need these opportunities. All of our workforce and contractor development is closely aligned with the way that renewable energy credit incentives are paid out by the state. That way we can ensure that as workers are trained, jobs are available. As contractors become ready to enter the market, they have opportunities to bid on projects. And the third part of the circle is in some ways um, locational. We have a lot of provisions that ensure that when the solar is built, when the battery storage facilities are built, when the energy efficiency um, blankets a community, that those are happening in the very same area of need. So it becomes a reality and a person in a disadvantaged neighborhood can see solar being put up by workers that look like like her and you know might be incentivized to check out the opportunities at the workforce hub and we believe that that sort of um, full cycle will help to build a belief that this is a way that we can help the planet and at the same time provide good green jobs for people that need them Clearly, this is a large, comprehensive bill with a lot of different elements in it. Tracy, what did you work on and what in particular are you most proud of coming out of this process? Well, I'm really fortunate to have a close colleague here in Peoria, Reverend Tony Pierce, who's also with Illinois People's Action. And he and I had a lot of long conversations about um, you know, what Peoria needed and how energy legislation could benefit a community like ours, which for those of you who aren't familiar, Peoria has some of the greatest racial disparities in the nation and uh, some of its poorest zip codes are among the poorest in the state. Tony and I, um, in these conversations, talked a lot about his experiences in trying to get solar up and running and bringing something real to the community. And as a Clean Jobs Coalition representative for Chica and IPA, I wanted to carry that message forward. And it's kind of ironic that I would be focused on a contractor accelerator because I'm not a contractor. I have no contracting experience and also I'm not a, a person of color. But the way that Tony explained it to me 
is that, you know, despite the great intentions, at the end of the day, his experience uh, working with returning residents and in the contracting field has told him that the best opportunity for giving a hand up to BIPOC people is BIPOC contractors. And the best opportunities for building wealth, intergenerational businesses, um, income generating assets in a community is again, if they're BIPOC owned. And I took his message to heart and listened to what he said, researched programs um, around the, the United States. And we set up a program where over five years, we could help a small BIPOC contractor really ramp up, go from zero to 60. Um, and begin to compete for the REC incentives for things like the large scale solar utility um, installations. And I think that at the end of the day, that's going to be the most important change that we can make to the landscape of the renewable and energy industry in Illinois. Um, these contractors are going to be ambassadors for the work that our program does from training an entry level worker to creating opportunities in the rec incentives to placing big and important solar and other renewable energy projects in communities that are typically overlooked for that sort of thing. It's been very difficult to get action taken, serious action taken on climate and energy issues in this country. How did this manage to get done in Illinois? What made it a success? Well, I think it's a tribute to the foresight of people that came before me. Um, when I got involved with the Illinois Clean Jobs Coalition, they were already a well-oiled machine. We had a number of the big greens, as we call them, national-level environmental organizations like Sierra Club and Environmental Defense Fund, Earth Justice, and Natural Resources Defense Council all sitting down together and figuring out collectively how we could do energy legislation um, in the broadest and uh, most equitable sense. Uh, they had done a good job of recruiting a lot of partners into the work, groups like Prairie Rivers, groups like the Respiratory Health Association, um, some NAACP branches, and even very small organizations like Central Illinois Healthy Community Alliance. Um, and I think it was important, um, the work that was done on a preceding bill, the Future Energy Jobs Act, showed that we could bring everyday people to the table, we could bring groups with a variety of interests to the table and make a meaningful contribution to the project. So it's a tribute to Governor Pritzker that he took heed of that. And when he designed the process for bringing people together in working groups to hammer out what the contents of an energy bill would be, that there really was a, an open door for groups like the Clean Jobs Coalition to bring a very different perspective. We're not people who stand to gain in terms of being in the solar industry. We're not labor, which stands to gain in terms of jobs. And we're certainly not utility folks who stand to profit um, based on the way these markets are designed and electricity is bought and sold. So it was great 
to be there and speaking out in terms of environmental justice, in terms of economic justice, and in terms of social justice. Um, so it was really thrilling to see. And as the work of the coalition continued and we moved down the path of realizing that we wanted to have a bill that really um, met the moment, uh, we saw a lot of increased involvement for BIPOC members within our own coalition. And we saw big national groups set aside to make sure that voices like Clean Power Lake County, which is um, mainly a Latinx area that is working on the issues surrounding the Waukegan coal plant, as well as the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, Blacks in Green, led by the fabulous Naomi Davis. We have United Congregations of Metro East downstate with my caddy. And of course, Reverend Tony Pierce from Peoria, who I've been working closely with for a number of years. But it was great to see people who normally are the loudest voices of the room step back, listen, and try to really bring forward um, an idea of equity that was developed by equity members of our own coalition. And I think at the end of the day, that's what made us successful. One thing I always find interesting about trying to change state policy is that you've got a real divide between the Chicago region and the rest of the state. Chicago has a lot of power because it's the population center and by virtue of the scale of its economy. Um, as someone from the Peoria region, what is your perspective on the role of downstaters in setting statewide policy? Well, in terms of the Clean Jobs Coalition, when I first joined as a member of the negotiating team, I was the only downstate representative and I felt like downstate lacked a voice and that was one of the reasons why I stepped up to do that work. Um, over the course of the two and a half years uh, in the run-up to passing the bill, I was very excited to see how downstate leaders came together. They formed a caucus within the coalition and ultimately worked to educate our peers from Chicago and to show up and to be present and to speak to concerns that are a bit different downstate. Um, again, I think we sort of met the moment. There was a lot of interest from the governor's office in having a solution that was appropriate for the whole state. There were a lot of concerns um, from legislators and from um, even within the solar industry and things that we developed solutions that worked from Cairo to Chicago. And I heard that over and over again. And I think it's really just a tribute to the people involved that they were able to balance all of these plates at once and, you know, looking for racial equity, looking for geographic equity, um, you know, as well as, you know, attention to consumer costs, um, you know, wanting to reduce environmental burdens as quickly as possible. I mean, it truly was multidimensional chess, but in the end, our top negotiators got the job done. You mentioned earlier that birding was kind of your entry into environmental issues. And I heard from my colleague Andrew, with whom you worked on CJA, that recently you got into moth watching. 
I hadn't really heard of moth watching before, but I love that idea. What was it about moths that interested you? Well, I wanted to do something during the pandemic to really take advantage of the fact that I live adjacent to one of Illinois' most beautiful state nature preserves, Singing Woods. And I, as a longtime bird watcher, I have seen most of the birds that frequent my area. And as a longtime butterfly watcher, I'd been increasingly distressed when I went out to watch butterflies because the numbers and the variety of species that I've encountered um, just seem to be so diminished from what they were 15 to 20 years ago. So I, I heard on another podcast a review of the new Peterson's Moth Guide, and I decided to order it and just see what might be around my backyard. And it turned into a real preoccupation for my husband and I. Um, we turned on a few lights outside. We went outside and took zillions of blurry pictures and came back and hunched over the book and you know, identified over a hundred species of moths just in our backyard. And for me, it was really transformative because it sort of made me realize there are parts of nature that are still out there. They're beautiful, they're awe-inspiring, and they're resilient. Um, and that I needed to just, you know, maintain my hope, um, you know, keep going out there, keep looking for new stuff. And it just kind of became, for me, um, a relief from the, the stresses of being stuck at home and not going out to meet with friends in the evening and not traveling. At least I had a new horizon right in my own backyard. I know you're also an avid paddler. Illinois isn't always known as being a outdoor recreation destination, but there's some really nice spots in the Peoria area. What are some of your favorite places to get out on the water? Yeah, I am. I feel so fortunate to live where I do in the state. Peoria is sort of equidistant from two of the greatest science experiments that are happening on a geographic scale of anywhere I know. To the north is the Hennepin Hopper Restoration, the Dixon Waterfall Reserve, where they took uh, several old drainage districts and restored them to backwater lakes. And now that is a fabulous paddling destination. Um, there are wonderful trails there. There's a huge variety of everything from wetland to traditional prairie plants and all the associated wildlife. There are beautiful spots at the various creek mouths as you run up and down the Illinois River until you're down south near the Havana area where the Nature Conservancy's Amaquam Preserve is just, um, just as spectacular as the Wetlands Institute Hennepin Hopper up north. Um, Amaquam was again, it was a big cow operation that they basically got rid of everything, pulled the drain tile and let the water back in. And now it's one of the top places in the state to see things like uh, blacknecks silts, a variety of shorebirds that come through, huge rafts of pelicans. Really every season you go down, there's something fabulous happening at the Amaquam Reserve, and it's another great paddling destination. We don't have a lot of whitewater in central Illinois, but 
you can still, you know, enjoy the river, circumnavigating various river islands, Banner Marsh, which is an old restored coal mine area with a chain of lakes you can go through, you know, as well as uh, other, other state parks and things. But the Illinois River itself is also a great place to paddle. There are some islands you can circumnavigate. There are various creek mouths that are very interesting. But unfortunately, over the factor of it all are coal plants from Hennepin to Edwards in Southeast Peoria County to the stacks of Duck Creek and Powhatan less than a mile off the river and finally ending at the Hennepin plant. So I do look forward to the day that I can know that those stacks are no longer polluting and uh, the river can begin to heal from years of abuse. I'm particularly excited to share this conversation with some of our members because I think you can help provide an answer to questions we often get. You know, how do I get involved and can I make a difference? Tracy, could you provide a little of your perspective on what it is to be a citizen activist, what you've learned, and why you'd encourage others to join in? I think we are really far down the road on needing a lot of immediate solutions now. Um, Whether you want to work on agricultural issues, energy issues, Um, or wetlands restoration. There's so much work to be done. And I think we all need to focus intensely on the work we can do collectively. Um, As you mentioned earlier, Robert, I mean, I think a lot of people feel like they need to wait until their landscape is 100% native and they've got panels on their roof and they're driving an EV to get involved. But that couldn't be farther from the case. While those sorts of changes are nice, they're not the big systemic changes that we need. The most important thing to do now is to show up. We need people to say, I'm standing for clean energy. I'm standing for clean air. I'm here because I care about the river. You don't need to be an expert speaker. You don't need to have a technical background. You need to be there and speak up for your values. Because at the end of the day, when politicians and when regulators make decisions, they wanna be assured that there was broad support for what they're doing. And if you're not willing to stand up, to be counted and to be part of that broad support, then you're working against it. Um, So I think that for people who feel like showing up isn't enough, onboarding isn't difficult. There are so many people in the environmental movement, in the energy justice movement, who are looking to bring others on board. There are people who are willing to mentor. There are groups like my colleagues at Illinois People's Action that routinely do trainings. Um, you know, and you can be onboarded as an individual, you can bring your neighborhood organization into the fold. Um, there are plenty of people who would be happy to meet folks where they're at, but in order to make those connections, you have to show up, sign up for a list, look for events in your local area, look for Facebook groups that you can join and and talk to other folks about the same concern. 
Um, the important thing is to build a person-to-person -person network because that's what's going to bring this movement forward and help ensure that our values are the values driving what happens in Springfield, what happens in Washington, D.C., and beyond. What gives you hope for the future? Well, one of the things that gives me hope for the future is the brilliance of my colleagues in this work. I am always amazed when I am on a call with 20 people that I don't know, when I am in a group of 50 people that I don't know. The myriad perspectives, the ideas, and even just the suggestions for incremental improvements that come from all corners of the room. Um, I think that we need to continue to grow that space and bring more people into the conversations. And I'm, as I'm very excited to have begun working with um, several close BIPOC colleagues and organizationally, you know, a broader range of, of BIPOC groups. I'm also, you know, want to see more youth. I want to see more people of different backgrounds and different social classes all coming together because we share air, we share water, and the fate of the earth, you know, affects us all. Um, and I, you know, I'm hopeful because there's a lot more focus on that sort of movement building, that sort of diversifying the ranks of folks who are who are speaking up for that than there was five years ago or 10 years ago. And I think that's why you see things like the Climate Equity Jobs Act. Tracy, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today, but even more importantly, I want to thank you for all the work you've done over the past couple of years uh, in strengthening and helping to pass the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act and for all of your work um, in protecting your own local community. I've enjoyed our conversation today, and I think our members will too. Thank you again for your time. Thanks. It was my pleasure, Robert. Thank you so much to Tracy Fox for joining us and for the incredible work she's done. And many thanks to our members who supported Prairie Rivers Network throughout the year. If you would like to become a member or donate, you can visit prairierivers.org. From all of us here at PRN, we wish you a safe and happy holiday season. We'll see you next year.